Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Does your brand stand out from the crowd? It's hard. That's why hundreds of agencies and marketers build their programmatic and native advertising offering with StackAdapt. Read their success stories at stackadapt.com. That's S-T-A-C-K-A-D-A-P-T.com. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, advertising, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the creative and innovation editor with Adweek. Uh, back with me is Doug Zanger, a senior editor here on the Creativity Beat. Doug, how are you doing? Good. Good, good, good. Good to have you back. Also got back Katie Richards, staff writer on the Brand Marketing Beat. Katie, always great to have you. Hey, thanks for having me back. Uh, I feel like we're all probably still recovering from spending like a solid nine hours together uh, uh, on Friday. <laughs> we normally record normally record on Friday. We had to hold it because I think we were all just mentally broken uh, from the uh, process of naming our agencies of the year. Uh, so thank you to you both for sitting through that. Uh, it's always a fascinating process, kind of going back and seeing what tons of different agencies have been doing over the last year. Uh, any any, uh, any big takeaways or trends you noticed, uh, Katie? Um, yeah, that I just am not up to speed on what a lot of the rest of the world is doing creatively, I guess. Um, to your <laughs> point, it's very interesting to always see like the the global reels come in and just see what agencies are doing all around the world and what work I missed. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of it just never even, you know, gets pitched to us or really kind of surfaces uh, with Adweek. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's a fascinating process, but we will have details on all that. It's obviously top secret for now, uh, but we'll be back. I think December 3rd is when we announce it. So we've got a lot of writing to do between now and then. Uh, but this week on the podcast, we're going to be talking about our uh, cover story on Challenger Brands. And uh, kind of how it is just a golden age of challenger brands right now, uh, some of which you've probably heard of, some might be new to you. Uh, we're also going to talk about, uh, got some just an interesting smattering of news uh, across the industry this week. And of course, we have this week's ads worth watching. Uh, but first, let's talk about the news. Well, I definitely feel like the biggest kind of talker in the industry this year because it was a bit of an intersection of so many other huge you know stories is uh, this involved Time's Up Advertising, the advocacy group uh, that has basically helped uh, turn the Me Too movement into uh, progress and uh, effort toward really implementing improvements and changes in the advertising industry. Of course, Time's Up as a larger entity uh, is been, has been at work in Hollywood and other industries, uh, but the, the group that's been involved with advertising is uh, you know quite potent and involves 
literally hundreds of the most senior women in advertising across uh, across America and, and several around the world. And so this week we had uh, an interesting situation. So Wendy Clark, who I would say, uh, would you guys agree she's pretty much one of the biggest names in advertising, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's safe. Uh, she is the, uh, the CEO of DDB uh, for the U.S. and you know, she uh, she is, like I said, really an iconic figure uh, in advertising. Uh, she announced she will be stepping down from the leadership from the, from the steering committee of Times Up Advertising after uh, story broke, actually broke in Adweek, uh, that the that DDB, her agency, had hired Ted Royer, uh, former creative chief for Droga Five, to do some uh, some work helping them. I believe on the Volkswagen pitch uh, that the agency was in. And just to remind folks, Royer had uh, been uh, terminated from Droga 5 after an internal investigation. That's really all we know. Uh, and, and even amid all this, no, no one really knows the details of that, uh, of what he uh, was accused of doing or what he was found to have done. Uh, but he was cut and he was obviously the creative chief at one of the most prominent agencies in the world. Uh, so it was a big deal at the time and, uh, you know, certainly started a lot of conversations about uh, what was going on there. Um, and then uh, basically we had gotten wind, I think, a few months ago that uh, DDB had been uh, consulting with him on a pitch. Uh, they initially denied it. Uh, and then uh, we broke the story that they they did work with him on this pitch. And uh, they acknowledged it. Uh, there, see, the, the quote from Wendy Clark in our story is, regrettably, I fell into a traditional paradigm of business first. And given the choice again, I would do things differently. That was a mistake. Uh, so basically acknowledging that you know, you can't be on the steering committee of a of a movement literally called Times Up, like you know, an entire movement about trying to move beyond uh, kind of the the leadership that advertising has had and into a new era, and then also be on the side consulting with uh, one of the people who, uh, again, for reasons we don't know, uh, but was removed uh, from his position. I, you know, Katie, you know, obviously several of the players involved in this. I mean, not so much personally, but just from having covered this for the last few years. What was your take on this whole situation? Yeah, it's it's kind of tough. I mean, I I feel like it's, it's hard to know, you know, what DDB knows about this situation and, you know, whether they know the details of of why Royer was let go. But, you know, it it does kind of sting a little bit to see someone like Wendy Clark, who is such a, you know, a big name and such a high priority woman in this industry to kind of make that she would make this decision to, even though they said he was freelancing and he wasn't, you know, necessarily working in their office. It just seems like a, a crappy thing to do. And like, you know, there are plenty of talented people in this industry that she and this, this agency could have gone to and found and worked with that, you know, why it needed to be Royer, I don't necessarily understand. And I, and I should note, too, that there, you know, there's a lot of d- debate around this one, uh, some more vocal, some kind of quiet and direct, uh, you know, in, in terms of private conversations. But basically, there are people, men and women, who feel that uh, that Royer is being kind of unfairly blacklisted here, uh, that they feel he, he, you know, he deserves to have a career and have a chance at, at redemption, or that we're also just pointing out that we don't know what he did. And so therefore, it's kind of, 
you know, it's kind of hard to say he should never be allowed to do anything. There, there certainly is a hierarchy of crappiness when it comes to these kinds of things. But on the other hand, you know, I think a lot of people are just acknowledging this. It's a bit like Louis C.K., right? Like Louis C.K. goes away amid all these, um, you know, accusations and, and I, I believe well-founded accusations that he had been uh, exposing himself in front of women uh, for many years, and uh, which, in fairness, that that's real bad. Um, but then he comes back with a comedy special. And that so I think we're kind of still in the middle of that debate about – how long is long enough, <laughs> you know, for people to end? And the answer is not, not yet. <laughs> not yet's long enough. Too soon. Well, the, the other thing was that, you know, and, and in the story, I believe from Patrick, um, you know, he had contacted DDB and Wendy Clark in September to be like, you know, is, is Ted Royer working with you? Uh, are you considering having him work with you? And they flatly said, you know, we're not considering him as a freelancer, as a full-time employee, period. So it seems like it's it's just a little shady on their part. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, obviously, they're acknowledging now uh, that, that it wasn't the right thing to do. Uh, but I certainly think it's going to be something that agencies keep in mind moving forward as, you know, you've got a lot of high-profile names that have left uh, left their roles or more, more accurately been terminated from their roles in recent years. Uh, and... You know, I've heard whispers of this that people are reaching out to them about, you know, kind of wanting to. I mean, these are people who won global accounts. And so, you know, to Wendy's comment when she says, I fell into this traditional paradigm of business first, you know, they saw on some level an asset that they could leverage, you know, someone who has one global business and has created, uh, you know, massive. Uh, can lion winning campaigns and such. Uh, but in the end, it really kind of blew back on them. Uh, so, uh, yeah, definitely keep an eye on adweek.com. Uh, Patch Coffee, our colleague, investigative uh, reporter at Adweek, it just does a phenomenal job with these stories. Um, and uh, and let us know your thoughts on some of these issues, too. We're at podcast at adweek.com. It's podcast at adweek.com. In slightly lighter, but also kind of interesting what it says about the industry kind of news. We've got CPB, uh, traditionally known as Crispin Porter Bogusky, and now kind of with renewed Bogusky, <laughs> now with 100% <laughs> more Bogusky. Uh, so Alex Bogusky had left quite a few years ago uh, and is back now, uh, has been re-added. And dude's got an interesting vibe coming back into this industry. He seems really down on it, <laughs> is what I'm going to say. Like mm-hmm. seems, Which... I mean, makes sense, right? He left advertising and he went and did some startup type stuff. But like his vibe since coming back, uh, you know, when he's he's done some public speaking and, and he's kind of just been like, uh, I don't know, he's just painting this very negative portrait of not just like what advertising is, but but how advertising should be. It's just kind of like, eh, you know, it shouldn't be super fun or you should, you know, you don't need ping pong tables and stuff at work. You should just enjoy the work. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, look who became a boss, man. <laughs> but um, <laughs> anyway, so this week uh, they they announced, specifically Alex Bogusky announced uh, that they CPB will be leaving all, will be quitting all award shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, he announced it in a very snarky way by announcing the Quitty Awards uh, and giving his own agency the Grand Quitty, uh, which was, it's an award for any agency that drops out of award shows. Uh, he... He basically, I mean, no real surprise here, right? Publicist started all this at Cannes last year by announcing they were going to be dropping out of award shows for a year. Uh, I believe in this one, you know, Alex is saying 
permanently, although in advertising, nothing's permanent. Uh, But, you know, he's basically just saying, like, it puts our priorities in the wrong place. Uh, We've got I've got a little quote here from our article. He says, is it a coincidence that awards uh, that awards and award shows have expanded at the same time that ad industry revenues have contracted? Maybe. But it's certainly a sign we're not focused on the right things. Mm. I, I, I don't know is that I agree with that quote at all, but but let me back up before I just wax on my own opinions on award shows. Uh, <laughs> D- Doug, what did you make of all this? I don't know. I, it's just, I mean, here's what you have to remember about Crispin in the first place. If, if memory serves, and David, you and I have been around for a minute, uh, Crispin was built on awards and press in a lot of ways. I mean, they did great work and they deserved the press. They deserved the awards. But I, I, what I hear, and I've heard this for a long time, is that there is this begrudging acceptance of awards by agencies and by brands. But especially on the agency side, what I've learned over the years is that those things do matter for business development. They do matter to attract talent. So... You know, I, I think that, you know, is there, are there a glut of awards? Well, probably, of course. Uh, and it's, you know, same with any industry. I heard somewhere, and I have to, have to try to dig this up again, that the advertising industry is the second high, has the second highest number of awards behind insurance. So I didn't, you didn't know that. Uh, that was, that was a fun <laughs> fact. And it, and it may be internet truth. So I'll have to see if that's actually true. Um, but these things still matter. And they do help build business. They do help attract talent because if there's a shop that's hot out there and, and you're reading more about them and you're seeing that they're being awarded by their peers or by the media for certain things, then you know, you're, you're probably going to want to go work for them. Now, that said, you know, are, we in a, are we in an era where things can change in the awards, in the awards world? Yeah. I mean, there's just so many of them. You know, what's, what's the impact? Um, but I don't know. I mean, you know, we'll see. I mean, it's like Publicis. We'll see. Katie, uh, you know, since Publicis announced their one-year pullout a year ago, which, again, at least had a, a, a finite timeline, right? Like they said, you know, we're going to cut it for a year, to, and it is strictly a money thing, uh, and to kind of help get our heads straight. Uh, Publicis also wasn't winning a ton of awards back then. I think you could also probably say the same for, for CPB. Um, but, I mean, I don't know. How did you feel about this? It, to me, it, it felt kind of like... Uh, you know, like like Publicis did the hard fight on this by like being the first out of the gate yeah. to now just come out and be like, we also aren't a fan. <laughs> yeah, I just I don't think it's going to have the same impact just because it was like the whole network Publicis was like we're no awards across the board. And this is just one. I mean, it's a big agency, but one agency and. I don't necessarily see it having the same impact. And I also just like really don't like the snarkiness of it. I think that just makes me even more like judgmental of the decision to be like, we're not going to do this anymore. And we're going to have a quitty awards and a quitty committee. Like it's too cutesy and snarky for me. Whereas I think when Publicis made their announcement, they were somewhat sly about it, but they were very direct in saying like, you know, they held a couple of meetings with reporters and they were talking about this new product, Marcel, but then they also kind of dropped casually into conversations. Oh, also, we're not we're not doing award shows anymore um, instead of making like this huge spectacle of it. 
So I don't know. I'm not well, on board with it. Well, the other the other thing too to consider about this, and David, you and I have talked about this. You know, there there are legends in the industry, and you can you know you can name a few of them. I would put Alex in there. You have to ask yourself if you went to the, the average 23-year-old and you said, "Tell me what you know about Alex Bogusky," they probably would say, "Who?" And I, I think that that's on one side. It's kind of like, "All right, well, you know, here we are in this this new era of the agency world and creativity." I mean, I think it is important for uh, for people coming up in this business, no matter their age, uh, to understand a bit of the history of the industry. But I, I just, I just not sure. You know, to Katie's point, I just don't think it's going to have an impact, and it does come across a little bit as sour grapes. And to her point as well, this wasn't an MDC initiative. This was simply Crispin doing their thing. And, you know, again, we'll see. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like we should also note the MDC partners, the parent company, the holding company that owns CPB, you know, they're in financial just uh, an abyss right now. Like yeah. their their stock price is a, a, a just a tiny fraction of where it was uh, a year ago. So it's it's a little hard to take all this at face value at a time like that when it's like, oh, and also our finances are, you know, it's it's just there's a lot of factors here that make it hard to really kind of take this as a, a more serious message. I, I'm also reminded uh, the day the day after um, Publicis announced their decision uh, and I, I happened to be talking that morning with Colleen DeCourcy uh, from Wyden and Kennedy. And what's funny is uh, is Artur Sadoon, the, the head of Publicis, walked by our table. <laughs> and so I went and, you know, tackled him and, and did an interview with him <laughs> on the spot because they, 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 uh, they had just announced it like the, the afternoon before. And this was really his first public sighting, <laughs> I think. And so we, you know, I grabbed you him. You caught and, him in the wild. <laughs> yeah. Like, and he was very gracious and gave a full interview. Yeah, and he's, he's, very, he's very nice. Yeah. And so I went back and said, down, of course, Colleen was like, "What did he say?" <laughs> and so we, you know, I said, "I just kind of told her the broad strokes of what he said," and she said, "Well, you know, we almost did the same thing at Wyden and Kennedy. We almost took a year off from all awards because same stuff as kind of what Bogusky's saying here, like it." You know, it prioritizes the wrong things and it's costly and we could be using that money in better ways. Uh, but then like when word got around, like unlike uh, Publicis, they actually bounced this idea off their uh, employees first <laughs> before announcing it. And the young employees were like, we'd really rather you did not do that. <laughs> it's like, I mean, it's one thing if you have 25 can lions sitting in your office or in a box somewhere. Uh, but if you don't have any, and you're trying to make a name for yourself in a career that is very much driven by the success of one or two campaigns, you know, so that's all it takes sometimes to put you over the top. And, you know, we just on this podcast the other day talked about the campaign for um, the one show, right? Where they're where they're basically that was the entire point of the campaign right. was that a lot a lot of people will not respect you until you have uh, one of these trophies, and which they were being cheeky about it, but there's also a serious message there. And so I do think like this combined with some of Bogusky's other recent comments about like, oh, you know, work shouldn't be uh, you know, agencies shouldn't have, have ping. Ping pong tables, and you know, he made some comment about should a day in advertising, you should feel like you're getting kicked in the groin two or three times a day. And I'm just like, yeah, no thanks. Yeah, you know, I disagree. I, I, I just, I feel like maybe you should be appreciated and and rewarded for your work. And awards is one aspect of that. It, and also, it, you control your your budget. It's you not know, a you boiler. control how many. I know it's not a boiler room. I mean, it's just don't treat it like a boiler room. And 
You know what? You shouldn't have a ping pong table. You should have a foosball table. That's rule number one. It should be a it should be a foosball table. I agree to disagree on that. But uh, no. Uh, so anyway, well, it'll be interesting to see what happens and if anyone else really joins in. But I, I do feel like these kinds of moves. They I always picture, and, and you know, I also think back to another thing a recruiter told me the day, like two days after the Publicis announcement at Cannes. A uh, recruiter told me I have never gotten more applications in a twenty four hour period than I got from Publicis. Uh, after wow. That. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you, yeah, it's not, I mean, put yourself in the shoes of like a young person trying to carve out a, a name for yourself in this career. And it's a thankless job if you're not winning something, you know, it's, your name's not on what you do. A lot of agencies also, from our point of view, have stopped including credits uh, when they send us work or the credits will just say like the name of the agency and the, the ownership you know, the people who own it, they've been around a long time and they're just like, we're all in this together. <laughs> you know, we all deserve equal equal credit. And I actually had one agency that was kind of new and they sent me that and they said, yeah, we don't really do credits. And then like two hours later, he sent, he sent me a full list of credits and he said, after speaking to my team, we would like to do credits. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, uh, it's it's one where I think I think the view from the top and the view from the bottom are probably very different on such things. Mm-hmm. Let's just really quickly touch on because I I love tourism marketing. It was a an industry I worked in for quite a while, and I just I love a good state tagline. Uh, <laughs> There, there aren't many good ones, uh, and Nebraska, which I believe their former slogan was it was Nebraska nice. It was Nebraska <laughs> nice, and then oh, there was another one. Um, Oh, I'll have to dig it up, but it was it was equally kind of. Eh. Was it Nebraska? Nebraska closer than Alaska? Because that would be a <laughs> Nebraska. Okay, um, Nebraska lovingly wedged between Colorado and Missouri. <laughs> um, the uh, the so anyway, Nebraska's new tourism slogan is honestly, it's not for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> which sparked so quite good. a bit of discussion online uh, because it sounds negative, but in a classic marketing thing, it's like this harkens back to like these super old school approaches of advertising of like Bill Birnbaugh writing the lemon ad for Volkswagen mm-hmm. for the Beetle or um, oh, what's the other big, oh, Avis, right? Like Avis being like, you, you, we try harder because we're number two, you know? And so there's there's been this long run of kind of self-mocking ads a, a bit. But what do we think of this one, Katie? The Well, Doug, I should give you a chance. You wrote about this, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think part of this is, is steeped in the strategy. So this is not something that's necessarily going to be going out to the wider world. So... Katie, you might not necessarily see it on the link billboards walking around Manhattan. Uh, This is definitely going to be targeted in more Midwest areas. So I think drivable areas. So it would be, you know, it would be like Kansas City, Minneapolis, some of those areas. So I think that in in the research, there's definitely probably some insight in this, knowing that this is this is a Midwestern state trying to appeal to Midwesterners that this that this approach would work. but you know, it 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 landed number fifty on a, a list of places that people want to visit in the United States. So absolutely dead last. So hey, as someone who lives in Alabama, anytime, anytime someone else is number fifty, I feel good about this. <laughs> now come on, come on. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I think it, I think there is. This is a situation where they really, honestly 
have nothing to lose and everything to gain from this. Uh, there was some chatter about, well, Nebraska agency should have done this. It was done by Vladimir Jones out of Denver. And I actually think that was a good call uh, to have it done somewhere else. And I think Vladimir Jones does does pretty good work. And I think being able to have, you know, that's the whole point of agencies, right? To have an outside perspective to be able to create something that will be appealing to people. So I think if you had, if you had, had an Omaha agency or a Lincoln agency, you know, you, you might have gotten a little bit more of the same would be my guess. Um, but no, I, I think it's, I think it's fun. Uh, it's, it's very similar to what Oregon did. Um, uh, of course, David, I'm always bringing it back to my home state. A couple of years ago, there was a sl- another humble slogan that they tried. It was, we like it here. You might too. Um, it's kind of like, well, we're here. Y- y- we like it. Eh, you know, come on in if you'd like, uh, not sure how that is performed, but, um, I mean, that's essentially the same message as it's not for everyone, right? That's just a slightly politer, positive way of saying the same thing. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, I I think that... the the executive director of the tourism board there he said listen to make people listen you have to hook them somehow and we had to shake people up and yeah and having visited nebraska a number of times i mean i like it there is it is it on my list of places to go yeah i mean you know as i was driving back and forth from new jersey to colorado for college you know i'd stop and hang out in lincoln a little bit hang out in omaha a little bit but you know, it's not like hey let's let's load up the family truckster and head on over there. Um, so, you know, hopefully this will help change some minds. Katie, any thoughts on taking this tack of like seemingly negative? And, and again, I should point out in the ads themselves, the joke is that they're showing people doing exciting things and they're saying too bad there's nothing to do here <laughs> or, you know, too ba- known for our flat, boring landscape. And it shows people jumping around on mountains or whatever. But uh, but at the same time, man, people on Twitter were savaging this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what what do you think, Katie? I mean, personally, I'm a, I'm a big fan of anything that's like cynical and dark in any kind of way. So I'm a big fan of this. Um, but I can I can see if you're just seeing the tagline and maybe you live in Nebraska, you're like, this is ridiculous. Why are we doing this? But to your point, when you see the whole thing come together with, you know, our famous for our flat, boring landscape and the tagline and the image, I think it makes uh, a really kind of powerful point. So I'm a big fan. Doug brings up an interesting point that uh, I just happened to work in tourism advertising for for quite a while. That was kind of my beat when I was a copywriter. And man, there is a big controversy around out-of-state agencies uh, Mm -hmm. running these accounts as someone who was a lead writer on an out-of-state agency writing a tourism account when I was working on Asheville, North Carolina. And when we won that account, uh, you know, we were based in Alabama and that was – you know, Asheville's got a lot of great agencies. North Carolina certainly has a lot of great agencies. But in the end, you know, we won the pitch – and uh, and held on to that account for for quite a while. But I would also point out a more famous example is uh, what is now VML YNR, but VML for a long time. They were winning lions at Cannes for their Nashville tourism. Mm-hmm. That that doesn't happen. You know, people don't win Cannes lions for regional tourism uh, work. So it just goes to show. Uh, and I and actually Denver has kind of a long tradition of agencies there have been running. Uh, and, I, and I don't know the details in front of me, but it's like there are certain states like Idaho and a few others. Where um, you know the, the advertising is coming out of uh, Denver uh, because they just have a better sense for that outdoorsy tourism. Oh yeah, I mean obviously Colorado is the epicenter of all that, but this is something I've run into many times over the years. Is that some of that kind of Western states that don't have a lot of a lot of uh, 
uh, you know, in this case, Midwestern, but, you know, that they turn to the experts out in Denver. Uh, so, um, yeah, pretty interesting one. All right. It is time to move on to our recap of ads that are actually worth your time. We call it Ads Worth Watching. Right, uh, we've got two that we wanted to talk about uh, this week. Um, one I covered. So, Doug, do you mind if I kind of jump in on the first no, one? Go here? for it. Uh, Tim Hortons, Canadian donut and coffee chain. Uh, they did. Uh, I, I actually I really loved this uh, this spot. They did a, an ad, kind of a bit of a stunt, uh, but essentially they found the only hockey team uh, in Kenya, and uh, and honestly, I think the only hockey team. Maybe in in their entire part of Africa, uh, Central Eastern Africa, uh, and these guys have no one to play against. Uh, they really don't have much in the way of equipment. They have to travel, you know, quite a ways in some cases to to go out and practice. And uh, and Tim Hortons found out about them and flew a dozen of them uh, to Canada. Uh, surprised them with customized jerseys, uh, state of the art gear. Uh, and then they got to play on the ice against another team, uh, and they and they also had a few uh, star players kind of join them. Sid Crosby, uh, most most famously, uh, who like one of the players, one of the players is so sweet, like couldn't stop crying <laughs> like the entire time. He was just like, I can't, I can't stop uh, because it's just like it just kept getting better, you know, the whole time uh, that that they were in there. Uh, so let's listen to a little bit of this spot uh, again. This is the the. Uh, Kenya's only hockey team coming to Canada. It's such an honor for them to do this for us. I can't hold back my tears. We get to compete against another team. You know, we used to playing against ourselves. I've never had so much fun like in my entire life. Doug, uh, you're a hockey guy, right? <laughs> yeah, you, you like weird. You like weird, obscure sports. It's not a weird, obscure sport. It's a fabulous sport. It is. I think this is the one area in which you and I agree on on this kind of. I love absolutely love hockey. Oh, hockey's amazing. Uh, yeah, I, I loved it. I mean, I, I think that this goes back to some interesting storytelling. I think what's what's telling about this to me is obviously. Tim Horton, uh, you know, Tim Hortons is a Canadian brand, very loved Canadian brand. Um, you know, and I think I, I can't confirm or deny this, or mainly I can't confirm this, uh, but one of the new uh, marketing executives at uh, the, the uh, holding company, Restaurant Brands International, is a guy named Derek Kent, who used to be the CMO of the Olympic National uh, Committee for a number of years. I think it was like seven or eight years. Um, and my guy, and, and, you know, he, he was very, very good at storytelling. Uh, and I know that there's a head of marketing from Tim Hortons quoted in here, but my guess is, is that we may see more fun stuff like this, uh, because he has a track record of, of doing this, this type of work. And I think it's just, you know, again, it's just one of those things where it, it, the juxtaposition of a Kenyan hockey team and in, into the, the cradle of hockey history it's just it's just nice and it, it's such a nice diversion to be able to actually smile <laughs> at things from time to time especially with all the garbage going on right now um but yeah i just i thought this was just it was unexpected to me i it was like i had no idea that there was a kenyan I, i'm sure you know that hockey's played everywhere around the world but it's usually in you know you hear about places like finland or sweden you don't hear about kenya so i thought it was really nice 
Katie, they seem like they're obviously kind of soft peddling the Tim Hortons tie in here. And the, the statement from, I believe, their CEO or their CMO was just basically, uh, you know, that. Canada and hockey are such a big part of our identity that this just made sense. Um, but what did you think of this kind of brand tie-in in a way that doesn't really beat you over the head with a donut? Yeah. Well, that's funny. Um, <laughs> I I think it worked really nicely. And I, I really do love when you get a brand that kind of warms your heart. I mean, obviously, it's still a brand behind it. But it's a really sweet message and it's a really kind thing that they've done for these hockey players. Um, but it's not, you know, in your face and they're not walking around with bags of donuts or cups of coffee. You know, it's a very subtle brand placement. Uh, so I, yeah, it's really nice. A very Canadian way of doing it. Exactly. There we go. And the agency that does uh, it too, Zula Alpha Kilo, they're, they're pretty darn consistent on a lot of things. So they, they put their signature on this one really well as well. Yeah, they're a fantastic shop. And, um, you know, certainly Canada Canada has no shortage of amazing agencies. I'll say that. Uh, but uh, but Zula Alpha Kilo, they, you know, they just they continue to create really fun stuff. I wasn't surprised at all to see they were behind this. Uh, one other spot I want to talk about, uh, just because this has been one of the biggest reviews, I guess, of the year was Ford. Uh, so Ford kind of very, I think we even spoke about this maybe, maybe in the last episode, that uh, Ford put their entire account on review and ended up ending a uh, many, many, many decades long, like 75 year long um, uh, relationship with uh, with uh, an agency now called, uh, 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 was it, sorry, GTB? Global Team Blue? Yeah, GTB, sorry. Uh, GTB is the agency they've been working with, owned by WPP. Uh, they have now awarded that work over to BBDO uh, in terms of their global creative. But Widening Kennedy has also become a strategic partner and previously in the year had won some uh, fall kind of uh, brand marketing work. Uh, that rolled out uh, this week, and we got to see uh, their their first work where they announced a new tagline, uh, which is "Built Ford Proud," and uh, which not not too different on you know the Built Ford Tough, uh, but uh, they also have a uh, kickoff spot, an anthem spot with Brian Cranston, uh, famously from Breaking Bad, uh, where he's I think he voiceovers all the spots, but he stars in one. Uh, so let's listen to a little where he's kind of giving a a bit of a speech about the, uh, I think it's called The Future is Built, uh, but about how America builds its dreams or, you know, something along those lines. Let's give it a listen. The future isn't created in a keynote address. Presidential speech did not land us on the moon. Millions of man hours did. They built their way there. Some will talk, talk, talk about the future, but you'd be a fool to believe them. You see, talk doesn't get things done. Building does. I I'm curious to hear what you what you all thought of this. I mean, these spots were you know gorgeously shot and and the usual, but something just left me kind of flat on this. It just it, this is from Widen and Kennedy, New York, which does Dilly Dilly. Uh, it does Delta. You know, honestly, it does some of the best ads in the world right now. And this just kind of felt, you know fine yeah i liked the anthem spot i thought there were like moments in it that i could see that widen and kennedy humor coming out um like when brian cranston is a robot i kind of chuckled at that part um but yeah i mean like some of the other spots just weren't that exciting for me um and i don't know if it was you know that 
I didn't like the, you know, the way they approached it or I don't like the the new tagline. I don't know. I just don't know what it is, but it's not it's not as wowing as I was hoping it would be. It uh, felt to me like it was kind of Chrysler 2.0 a little bit, where it had that similar when they when they launched with the uh, with the spot the M M&M and M spot. I mean that was that was some next level stuff. You know this was again this was nice, um, and it, I don't know there there just felt it felt as though that that it was just a little bit similar to what we had seen from them before. It's good. I, and I think we all can agree that automotive is a really tough category and you can do these nice little brand, you know, nice brand spots. But when you start getting down into it, there's, there's a demand to, you know, we got to move the, we got to move these cars. So, um, you know, th- then you start, then the creative starts getting a little bit more, little bit more direct, I suppose is is a good term for it. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think, I think it's a good nod to the history of it, uh, the history of the brand. And I think it refreshes it. It's similar in some ways to what Wyden does with KFC. They took something that was legendary or historical from the brand and gave it a fresh spin. So, you know, I think if that's the direction that they were looking to go there, then I think it was good. But yeah, to your point, yeah, it was good, but it was, uh, it, it, it wanted me leaving more, shall we say. Yeah, I mean, I just I, maybe I'm just kind of tired of the like here in America we do things the hard way like our granddad did. You know what I mean? It's just like that's just whether it's Budweiser or you know any automaker, honestly. Um, but you look at like what Audi is doing out of Venables Bell, you know, making some of the best best ads on earth, and I I was earnestly pretty excited to see what Wyden could do. I mean, they their work on Chrysler. Uh, again, some of the best ads really yeah, in really Super good. Bowl history. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, this is just uh, this is an interesting start. Uh, but we, we were joking because the the literal name of one of the YouTube clips uh, uh, for the new ads is Ford Trucks Built Ford Tough Built Ford Proud Ford. I, I think that's a labeling convention. I, I think you're. I think you're getting into the labeling convention there. I know, but it's still that's literally the ad. That's the way they serve it up to anyone who like sees it on YouTube or you know what I mean. It's not like it's maybe some there was end. supposed to be some punctuation. Maybe YouTube doesn't allow punctuation. I don't know. No, there, there's there's like little little what do they call like the the line. Uh, what's that called? You know, the vertical line. Yeah, we're that's just calling it a vertical line. line. That's the technical okay. term that's now. The, the punch. There's probably some um, for it. It's like called like a bar or something. Um, anyway, yeah, I just that cracked me up. I was just like Ford, 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 Ford. And so, yeah, I don't know. Um, but I will be very curious to see when BBDO rolls out their first work. We will certainly be able to see kind of how these different players, um, you know, bring what bring their agency vibe to it. Uh, but yeah, that's it for ads worth watching this week. All right. Uh, well, it is time for our big discussion of the week. We're going to take a quick little break and then we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Stack Adapt, the number one programmatic native advertising platform with the right tools for navigating the complexities of digital media. Stack Adapt offers real-time forecasting, hyper-granular reporting, and more. Visit stackadapt.com. That's S-T-A-C-K-A-D-A-P-T.com. 
All right, it's time for our big discussion of the week. This week, we are talking about our uh, cover story on challenger brands and how they're disrupting industries across fashion, fitness, uh, careers, rental cars, just about everything these days. Uh, it used to be challenger brand just meant kind of the up and coming, like the Under Armour to your Nike. But uh, obviously, the the internet has made it where you can get a you can get a challenger brand up and running, not to say easily. Uh, but you don't need – a lot of times you actually have an advantage, it seems like. Uh, Katie, maybe you can talk about this. Of, of you know, I, I feel like if you're starting a company now and you're coming up against a competitor who has to maintain inventory in like every Walmart, you know, and, and they have to maintain a, an ad budget across all these places, they have a, just a lot more costs involved. It feels like this is a good time to kind of try to disrupt a, a 50, 60-year-old, uh, you know, kind of brand icon. Yeah, totally. And if you can find a way to provide people with something either they wish that they had that brands out there currently don't offer or maybe something they don't even know they want um, in that particular industry, I think you can have a lot of success as as kind of a startup e-commerce challenger brand. Well, why don't you uh, start us out by just telling us about a few of the brands we featured uh, that, uh, that that maybe you're personally familiar with or you just think are kind of fascinating in, the, in their business model? Yeah, for sure. So I think Allbirds is a really interesting company. It's a, a footwear brand. Um, and I don't personally own a pair, but I've heard from a few people and a few colleagues actually that they're like the most comfortable shoes you will ever wear. Um, but to me, I think it's it's just interesting that you can get a shoe brand that is a challenger brand when there's just so much out there already. It's such a crowded space. But they, so they make their shoes with like really unique products and um, they have a really interesting Instagram presence and they have like a couple of, of stores that you can visit to go look at the product, but a lot of it is based online. Um, and I think what like for them, it was really just word of mouth that kind of got them out there. But then they also were really strategic about some of the partnerships that they had. So they did a partnership with Air New Zealand, with Outdoor Voices, which is another uh, company on the list, uh, Shake Shack. So just like finding, you know, an audience, probably millennials and Gen Z and finding the brands that they were interested in and leveraging partnerships with them to kind of really spread the word about you know, the product. Um, that's a really interesting one. I think Fenty is another really cool brand, um, which is, if, you, if those that are not familiar, it's Rihanna started um, a makeup line as well as a lingerie line. And it's kind of meant both, both sectors of her brand are really meant to, you know, cater to all women. So her makeup line has the most, you know, shades of foundation that you can get on on the market. So women who have really dark skin tones or women who have really light skin tones can, you know, find their foundation, which isn't something you would necessarily think about. But for a lot of women, they, like, couldn't find a product that worked for them, and her company was able to deliver that for them. Um, so they've been really successful as well. Doug, were there any, um, either from this list or just ones that come to mind of challenger brands that you've seen in the last few years really kind of break through or at least get into your, you know, consumer, personal consumer mindset? Here, wait, wait. <laughs> okay, start start over with Harry's. Yeah, I think probably the most relevant one for me would be Harry's. Uh, I've been with Dollar Shave Club since they started, so I think that 
Mike Dubin and company, um, who was at Brand Week, by the way, uh, they've gotten they got their meat hooks into me early. So I really haven't had a reason to change. But I think that what's interesting is is how Harry's has expanded into retail, especially like uh, Target and Walmart. So you know, I think that that's a, a you know a challenger to. There's you know clearly a couple challengers in there. There'll probably be a few more that that pop up. Um, the other one. Orange Theory, I'm familiar with. It's it's starting to supplant Soul Cycle in terms of you've got to do this from people. Oh my God, you've got to do Soul Cycle. Oh my God, you've got to do Orange Theory. Um, so that's one that I think is making a big run. I, I think they might be they might be a unicorn status. They might be they might be at a billion uh, at this point. And then the other one is sixth. Uh, I use them mainly in Europe. I never really use them over here. Uh, but they've been working really hard to tweak the nose of the Hertz Avis national rental cars in the U.S. And they've done some stunts. They've done some pretty funky advertising. They're, they tend to be a little bit quirky. I think what's what will probably take them over the top is that you can rent like a BMW or a Mercedes for, you know, like 30, 40 bucks a day, whereas the others, it's a hundred, you know, a hundred or so dollars. So the whole idea is that you can drive luxury at an economy price or it's drive first class pay economy. So I think that's a, I think that's a good, uh, that's a good position for them. I think the trick is, is that sometimes they're hard to get to in certain places. So if they can, they can work that out, then I think they'll be okay. Uh, the other thing with Sixth, which is interesting, is that they have uh, chauffeurs. And when I was in Cannes at the Lions, I took Sixth back to the airport, and it wasn't that expensive. It actually wasn't that much. I, I think it was actually about the same as, as you would take a taxi. Um, so I think that's that's one place to look for the future for them. I think that could be something really big for them. And it's interesting to me. Well, speaking of can, um, the Allbirds that we featured, they have a, a kind of startup competitor. So we're already getting to the point where like the disruptors have disruptors, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the food chain just keeps going. Um, but Allbirds has a competitor called Adams, A-T-O-M-S, um, and they make a very, I think, even more minimalist shoe uh, than Allbirds, which is my jam for one. That's just my, I like, I want a shoe that has the least ostentation possible. Like, I just want it to be a black shoe, and that's pretty much it. Just because I really don't care, and I just want it to be very comfortable, and I want it to to work with as many outfits as possible. Um, and that's it, you know. And so I'm loving this trend. But uh, the Adams offered to send me a pair. Uh, I forget how this came about or how I even heard about them. I think they hired a designer who's who we've written about quite a bit. I, you know, we're familiar with his work, and he did a really cool video about kind of what their thing is. And their thing is that they make half size shoes. Uh, so they, I think, they're just now starting to take orders, uh, like legitimate orders. But you can like if I wear a. Uh, or no, I, I don't even know if t- it's not even half size, like quarter size. That's what it is. It's quarters. So you can order an 11 and three quarter, a 12 and a 12 and a quarter, and they'll send you all three and you just keep the one that fits and you send back the other two and you can mix and match feet. So if you have oh. like a size 12 left left foot and a size 12 and a quarter right foot, which I think I actually do because I've never found a pair that fit both feet. And that's their whole point is that like, yep, feet are different. 
And uh, but they're I believe they're like twice as expensive or they were at the time as all birds. Uh, and there's a bunch of science that goes into their shoe. Uh, but they sent me a pair to try out. Um, and I said, uh, sure, if you send it to me. I'll try it out at the Can Lions, where we probably walk. I think I averaged something like 18,000, 20,000 steps a day um, at Can this year. And I said, sure, you know, I'll try them out and I'll let you know. I'll, I will give a brutally honest review on Twitter of whether they're any good because I destroy shoes at Can. Like they do not survive the week. And, um, and these were great. You know, they were super comfortable. I wore them all week. Uh, they did, I, I still wear them now. Uh, months later, they haven't been wiped out by anything. And, and I mean, there was a few little like tiny things I didn't necessarily love about it. Uh, but all in all, I mean, they were one of the best pairs of shoes I've owned in, in maybe ever. Uh, and I, and I hear the same thing about Allbirds. So it's, I have to admit when a category like that is getting disrupted, I just get so happy because I'm just like, yay, we can finally start getting like better, you know, more comfortable and more durable shoes and just more durable. Anything would make me happy. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, Katie, looking at this list, do you do you get any sort of sense of the trends or of of where we're headed now? Because it, it does seem like a lot of these are rapidly either becoming uh, national global brands of their own or they're getting acquired, right? Yeah. <laughs> so do you think we're going to see a continued cycle where they get disrupted and then their disruptor gets disrupted? Or do you think we're just going to – there's only kind of room for – for one or two of these in each category. No, I think we'll keep seeing some disruption and more, you know, as people see the success of these brands, they're going to kind of wonder how can I create my own version of that or make these better? Because these brands are great in a lot of ways, but they're not all perfect. And I think there's definitely room for other brands to come in and continue the disruption and, you know, continue evolving with what people want and what they need, better price points, more comfortable, you know, um, just easier to access anything like that, I think we're going to keep seeing that happening. I mean, just think if we could, if, you know, if we could get disruptors on things like how trash is collected, right. Or how recycling is sorted, just these things that we take for granted as being awful. Yeah. Like (laughs) the, 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 and, and a lot of it is just because we're American and in other countries, they have way better systems for this stuff, either because it's government subsidized or because they're just like, there's some country, was it Taiwan, um, where they're, where you know the the way recycling works is you have to go stand out on the street and hold the bag and and like throw it into the truck when it drives by and uh and you know I remember someone did a a, a radio piece on that about how no one in America would ever go with this plan because <laughs> it's like tremendously inconvenient. But on the other hand, they charge you per bag of trash. Like literally it's not you don't buy like a 80 pack of you know, of glad bags at the store, you, you have to pay for every single bag you use and it's prohibitive enough. And it's also just super annoying because you have to go out in the street and throw your garbage bag, uh, into the, into the truck. Whereas if you're recycling, they're much more forgiving. You don't have to pay. Uh, so, you know, it's just things like that where it's like, I just don't know if American culture is ready for that kind of disruption, but it works. It works in other places. So you, but yeah, that's my hope is that we just find some things that are, whether it's on, you know, scrubbing carbon dioxide or something that we can actually beyond just like, hey, here's a slightly better way to order your razors every month. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we can hope. Yes. 
All right. Well, uh, definitely check. Uh, recommend everyone check out our roundup of disruptor brands on adweek.com. T.L. Stanley, our longtime freelance writer, uh, did that roundup. So thank you very much, T.L. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's it for this week. Uh, we'll be back soon with uh, with lots more. Uh, and uh, Doug and Kay, thank you both for joining. You bet. Thanks for having us. Our theme music is by Home. Uh, this week's episode was edited by Lane McGibney and produced by Anya Fernando. Uh, please, uh, with uh, audio production by Josh Rios, please take a moment, if you have not already, to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us, and they help new listeners discover the show. I'm David Griner with Adweek, and we will be back next week. <laughs>